0: Hi, this is James Joke. I'm host of Webcomics Reviews and Interviews, and this is Cinematography for Webcomicers. So sit back, relax, and let the geek fest begin. While a lot of web comicers have a really good style, a lot of them, well, don't. That is, while it's a pretty strong style and it's expressed throughout the webcomic, it's a little on the boring side. From a filmmaker's perspective, it's called a medium shot. Basically, you see the person from head to toe, and it's usually just the two people that are, you know, talking. And unfortunately, this conversation is pretty much makes up the webcomic. Well, while you're going to hear a lot of yeah, well, here tonight. So let's try to get as many of them out as we possibly can here at the beginning. Well, this is, makes the webcomic easy to produce, and that's fine, and of course that also means it concentrates all the action, so to speak, on the dialogue, it basically means the rest of the webcomic can get really boring really quick. So, let's see if we can apply some basic filmmaking techniques to webcomic and see if we can make things just a little bit more interesting, Okay. Obviously, before we begin, I'm going to heartily recommend that any webcomer could take at least a couple of classes in filmmaking. Not just behind the camera, but also acting. It may sound a little silly, but having the ability to act means you can get into other people's minds just a little bit easier. And when you're trying to do two or three characters and keep them reasonably unique, or at least differentiate them from each other... That ability to shift between personalities, which is something acting actually makes easier, is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a great thing. And obviously, the more you know about filmmaking, the more you'll know how to compose shots, and the more you know how to compose shots, the better you make your webcomic. So, take a couple of classes in filmmaking. Make things easier on yourself. So, obviously the first place we need to start is, well... The types of shots that are out there. These are usually close-up, medium, and long. Obviously, you can have extreme close-ups and you can have extreme long shots, but let's try to keep it at least a little bit easier. So, when you, when a lot of people see long shots, what they usually see is what's called the establishing shot. If you watch a lot of TV, you know this is the site Where you see the location, like, say, an apartment complex, a coffee shop, diner, a park, whatever, where there's not a whole lot of actual stuff going on. And then, of course, it cuts to whatever is supposed to be happening inside that area. You know, like a a room in the apartment complex or a couple of tables inside that diner or a particular group of benches in the park. You know, you get the idea here. The entire point of the establishing shot is to establish time, tone, and location. Time, obviously, is pretty easy. You know, sun's out, it's day. Stars or moon are out, it's night. If it's somewhere in between, you know, you can also do dusk, sunset, sunrise, twilight, what have you. It's just a matter of changing the lighting of the establishing shot. And again, this is something you see in a lot of sitcoms and movies. Um, Also, obviously, it establishes the place. You know, a New York coffee place is going to be vastly different than a place, well, usually, in theory, from a place out in the Midwest. Obviously, it can also be used to set up the tone. You know, if I have a coffee house that's in the middle of billboards trash on the street and has a lot of homeless people running around that's going to be an entirely different tone than say if I only have a couple of signs there's uh, hipsters in the area and everything is immaculately clean so obviously this is going to help your webcomic because in one panel you get a lot of heavy lifting you don't have to do the caption stuff you can just simply say or more accurately, just draw a picture of what the extreme area looks like. You know, simplify stuff for yourself. And I'll point out real quick, obviously this isn't really going to apply to people who do a single gag strip, uh, you know, single panel strips. And if you're doing a three or four panel, you'll probably not really use it all that often. But it is sort of cold occasionally have people talking over the establishing shot just because it's something weird and different, at least the first couple of times you try to pull it off. And yeah, you see this in a lot in strips like Doonesbury, where they actually, you see a lot of dialogue over nothing but establishing shots. So, you know, you can have a lot of fun with the idea. The long shot in and of itself is sort of good for, well establishing the scene as well as showing what happened at the end of the scene. If I have a couple of groups of superheroes, for example, that are about to go out each other, well, I can have a long shot where I've got the good guys on one side, the bad guys on the other, and if there's a third side, those guys are in the middle. Right off the bat, I've established where the sides are, and to a degree, the stakes, because obviously, if these people are so ready to go gung-ho at each other, there's got to be something important, right? Of course, watch it be a freaking coffee order. But, the point here is that you have a way of establishing who's all in the area, plus what the area is really quick. You can also use a long shot at the end of the scene in order to show what basically happened. You know, did a couple of buildings come down, is it, did everybody, like, run out of the street? You know, so on and so forth. Obviously, this is also where you're going to have the great classic, you know, hero posing victorious over the body of the villain. Or the opposite, where you've got the villain floating over the body of the hero. Hey, sometimes it goes that way. You know, if you've just gotten over a major fight, you'll see craters... Superheroes all over the place, so on and so forth. So the long shot is a really great way to not just establish the time, the place, and the tone, but also show what's about to happen and what actually did happen. Conversely, you've got the close shot. Or the... A close-up shot or what have you. It does have a couple different names. For our purposes here, we're going to use closed shot. What's closed shot allows you to do is show extreme detailed situations. That is, um, somebody loading a gun, somebody doing some drawing. If somebody's basically being just really kicked, really happy, really sad, you can do a close-up on their face. In essence, the close-up allows you to well, close up and it closes up and do some real basic details. If you want to have text or details of drawings show up, the close shot is going to be your best friend ever. So, if we have the long shot basically establishes what's going on, and we have the close shot showing what's actually going on, what's the purpose of the medium shot? Well... Medium Shot is really great for showing interactions between different two, at least two different things. I don't care if it's a person in a computer, uh, a person in a cat, two people talking, two people running away from each other, two people dancing. Or even, for that matter, multiple people interacting. What we basically have is uh, the Medium Shot just is really great for showing all this interaction. So, you know, you can do a lot of variance between the two, or and it really works out really well, because let's say you're doing a superhero fight, right? So you start off with a long shot, show everybody who's there. Show a couple of medium shots for who's basically pairing off, because we all know that pairing off happens in superhero fights, right? Then use a lot of close-up shots to show who's reloading, who's grabbing their wand, um, who's readying the power blast. blasts so on and so forth. All these really cute little details that add up to lots of stuff happening. And don't think this is just a combat thing. Obviously, if you're doing a murder mystery, you can use a close shot to... Well, let's take the same basic concept here. The long shot at the beginning will show all the major suspects as well as the detective in charge or whoever's trying to solve the mystery. You do a lot of medium shots to show all the talking and other interactions that sort of thing we'll get to the reveal in a moment you didn't have the close up shots show up and you know they help you deal with all the various details you know uh, the mud on the cane is going to be a real tight shot um, if you have a pain that needs to be looked at or if you have text that are part of the murder mystery all these clues obviously are going to get done close up shots and, of course, while you're talking to the people, while you do the final reveal, so on and so forth, that's going to be on medium shots. And then, of course, well, let me cut back to the reveal, because this is the reveal is going to have two different options here. Obviously, you're going to need close-up shots of some of the people reacting. You know, the <gasps> gasp. Or the people who are mad because they just got caught. And you might even have one few people just simply relieved. And, of course, once the reveal shot goes off, you're going to need a quick long shot of pretty much everybody who's there. And then, of course, lead off to a couple of medium shots where the bad guy gets arrested or whatever. Obvious question here is, doesn't all this stuff sound a lot more interesting than just a series of medium shots? You know what I mean? there are ways of course of sprucing up your various shots one neat little photography trick is to blur out the background or blur out the foreground if you want to highlight the appropriate area so for example if you wanted to focus in on a people that were kissing in the background you could really conveniently blur out the the foreground so that way it forces a focus onto the people kissing in the background. You can of course also do the opposite. You know, if you're trying to focus on, on a bird on a bush and the bird and the bush happens to be closer than the other action in the scene, you can blur out the other action in the background and focus solely on the bush. Neat little trick and it might actually help a little bit every so often. Some other great things are, well, there's this really great concept called crossing. All it means is essentially one figure will cross in front of another. And you see this in film all the time. In fact, it's sort of a drinking game if you really want to get into it. Um, crossing also has the advantage that it sets up a lot. makes your scene a lot more realistic. You know, if I'm talking about, again, going to the diner somebody taking an order is going to obviously have to cross in front of two actors you have talking in order to take the order or to deliver it or to clean the place up a little bit so so in that sense the crossing helps establish that you are not just in a dining room but you're actually in a place that well you know has a little bit of life to it You can also, of course, go the opposite direction and have stuff happening in the background. The stuff in the background has some really cool advantages as well. Um, Let's say, for example, you've got the conversation in the dining room that you're actually worried about, which is essentially an exposition dump, but is going to have some really nasty repercussions later on. Uh, Let's say, for example, that the people are going to end up parting ways because of what's said at the meeting, even if those repercussions aren't felt for another couple of entries into the webcomic. Well, you could, for example, have it in the extreme background, a couple that meets, has an argument, there's a slap, they break up. You've established a little bit of uh, forward shadowing right there with that one little scene. You don't have to be ultra-serious, obviously. You can have a lot of fun with stuff going on in the background. Just pointing out that you can't have a lot more interest to you than just simply being there. If you're having a problem, for example, that you need the things to lighten up a little bit, you can have something funny going on in the background. You know, like two people having a problem putting up a sign. You know, just little things. Usually, when it comes down to it, a lot of people do go by the rule of thirds, which, although really great for composition, leaves a lot of free space to play around with. And people being people, you're going to want to fill that space at some time. Putting stuff in the background sort of helps there. Also, having people cross, well, that has its own advantages, and let's say you're trying to keep your comic PG and all of a sudden you want to handle something that's a little bit more risque. First off, I hardly recommend checking out the Austin Powers movies just because they have some of the best scenes when it comes to using materials to hide out certain body parts. If you know the scene, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to find out. But the gist here is that you can use things in the foreground to, affect, to hide things going on in the background. And this is not necessarily a bad thing. If you want to see a really interesting use of this, Will and Grace has a photo and a vase. The vase is put... Well, the photo, if you know it happens to be in real life... Is a male torso, or more accurately, a male from roughly the thigh up to the sh- roughly around the neck from the side. And as part of the ph- photograph, there's a male member plane his day. Well, in the state common will and grace, they have this photo, this, they have the poster version of this photo. You know, it's almost like the rigor thing to throw, you know just something you need to be a homosexual on you know it's just, it just seems to be part of a mandatory part of the decor well well you're going to use a vase with flowers in it to hide the male member you know it's just those little cute little things if you keep track keep an eye on it so that's just your basic stuff of how you can use these various shots when it comes to conversations a really neat film trick is the dreaded rule of 180 if you watch a lot of films you notice that every so often when they hit a conversation they'll have it from you know they'll focus on the person who's talking from the angle of over the person's uh, shoulder and then keep switching between the various the two people. Well, the reason it's called the rule of 180 is because the idea is that you put a you basically imagine a board right in between the two people, and then you basically have a camera on a swivel that can you know obviously shift on that based on that swivel. I mean, it's a neat little trick, and it's highly effective in film. You can obviously use this to major effect when you're dealing with your with your comic. Obviously, you shouldn't be afraid to have one character be off-screen. If you have a character who's detached, or you're trying to focus in on the one character, having a character who's pretty much off-screen for the entire conversation works out really well. And if you're one of those people who uses different fonts for different characters, one of the neat tricks you can do if you really want to mess with people is to have somebody else answer, and obviously this means the font has to change. So all of a sudden, the off-screen speaker speak changes, and so does the font to represent this, and if if people are following along, that little subtle change is going to create a lot of emotional weight. But, like I said, the rule of 180. The other advantage of the rule of 180, especially when we start looking visually, is that you can actually use it to show how well the two people are communicating. I mean, I know it sounds sort of silly, but... You know, obviously, anything you can use visually that helps describe what's going on is a great thing, because... You know, it just means you don't have to actually have them talk in order to emote. You can just simply show them in the situation. The way the rule of 180 helps here is, is that the expectation is that two people are facing each other. This means if you have two people that are communicating by cell phone and they're in two entirely different locations, you can still apply the rule of 180. Backing up half a sec. You'll note that each person is given their side of the screen in order to occupy. So if I've got speaker A and speaker B, I'll continuously see the first speaker over the, sh- the left shoulder from the person and then that speaker will usually occupy the left side of the screen. Conversely, the person he's talking to will be seen from the right shoulder of person A and he'll usually occupy the right side of the screen. That's an important part of the setup. It's also the major part of why it's called the rule of 180. But, let's say you've got two people that are talking by cell phone and you're trying to show that these two people are obviously perfectly in sync. You then just apply the rule of 180 and have them essentially within normal conversation. Obviously, you don't have to have it from the shoulder of the other person, you just simply show the person. So it's a great way of showing the two people are in sync. If you want to show the two people are slightly out of sync, and again they're on the cell phone or not necessarily communicating, you know, at the same in the same area, you can actually have them on the same side whenever it comes to their side time to speak. <laughs> um a nice little subtle way of saying hey they're not quite in sync other stuff you can do is if you're trying to show that there's some sort of communication problem with the two of them is that instead of having them face each other like the default is you can have one of the you can have them basically have you know have their backs to the other person Or if you're trying to show that somebody's in a position of superiority, that is, they either don't want to listen to the other person, or they just simply want to say, hey, I'm the one in charge here, you have to pay attention to me, I don't have to pay attention to you. You can turn one of the people around. So that character A, for example, is talking off to the the side of the panel, And character B is talking to the person's back. Obvious reverse that is necessary. This is great for scenes where you've got one person ticked off at the other or one person is trying to beg for something. You know, it's these little subtle things that actually make a webcomic classic. And then, of course, there's lighting, which for our purposes comes in three forms. Specifically, from above, from below, impractical, and, and yeah, you can sort of mix all these, but we'll get to that in a sec. If you're basically showing a light from above, it's a great, person, great way to show that there's a revelation, or that somebody's having an epiphany of some sort, obviously, or that the person is otherworldly and obviously holy. You know, it's just that really cool way of saying, hey, we've got a solution to the problem, here it is, wah, and the light comes down and highlights the solution to the problem. If you play a lot of video games, you definitely know what I'm talking about. On the other hand, you've also got, instead of, you want to do something a little bit different than the light bulb, torch, what have you, above the person's head just have the light come down from above you know they've had this epiphany light flows we're good to go also like I said if you're trying to show that the person is actually holy not just holier than thou but actually a good person occasionally having the light come down from above isn't necessarily a bad thing it exaggerates the goodness and also points out under the right circumstances the flip side of this, obviously, is that you can also show that the person is evil, or sinister, or actually scared by having the light come from below. You know, we all know that if we're basically having a campfire story, that the light, will, you know, will take the flashlight and have the light come up you know cause all these really cool great evil shadows and it helps emphasize that we're telling a ghost story we're trying to be scary so it works at the same time if you're trying to show that somebody's being intimidating it's a great way to emphasize that this person actually is intimidating and somebody you don't want to mess with you see it done in comics all the time and obviously if we're some having somebody's having an evil mood or is just simply evil again light from below is just a great way of making sure we understand this is not somebody you want to mess with so just something to consider oh yeah and don't forget that you can combine this under the right circumstances In interrogation for example the light from above would go on to the person being questioned, whereas the person doing the interrogation, obviously, if they can set the lights up, will have it coming from below. This sets up the situation that you're basically telling me what the solution to the problem is, as in, I need your confession, give it to me, and the other person is trying to be intimidating. But if you as the comicer want to flip the table so to speak and have the person being questioned is actually evil, intimidating and just isn't you know, cooperating very well hey, all of a sudden he gets the light from below and of course the person doing the interrogating in order to make them look a little silly and the fact that they're the one actually being interrogated gets the light from above you know, neat little trick, and you'd be surprised just how effective it really is. Obviously, another neat trick we'll be using was called practical lighting. Again, when we talk film, and when we're talking specifically practical lighting, we're looking at actual light sources when it's in the scene itself. You know, having all the light coming from a lamp, for example, or from a flashlight. Or, you know, you get the idea. Obviously, this is going to help when it comes to setting up the shadows, because at that point, you know all the shadows are going to be coming from this light source. (laughs) But, there are some really cool things you can do with the practical lighting. Um, A major example is the dreaded flashlight, you know. Let's say you got tired of using the close-up view in order to show Details. This is cool and it's actually sort of valid. So you decide to get really clever and... Use a flashlight to go over the area. Or you're in a cave and you're trying to... You know... Keep a couple of details out of view. And focus in on the obvious ones. Yeah, this is going to help when you're trying to show... The really cute, lovable part of a monster. And ignore the big, bulbous... Eight legs that are hiding just out of view. There's a way... Using a flashlight, you can actually have all these details be in view, but not necessarily where people are going to pay attention to them. The way you do it, obviously, is the flashlight. Now, if I've got Photoshop going, doing a flashlight view is pretty easy. You know, I figure out which area I want to highlight through the flashlight. Oh, actually, let me take this back a step. Obviously, in Photoshop, you can create a layer, make a solid black, turn it down to about 30-50% opacity, and then cut out a hole where it represents a flashlight. Yeah, it's a neat trick. Worth noting when you actually get into playing around with it. But this allows you, like you said, this allows you a lot of... The ability to control exactly what people are seeing... What they think they see. You know... You can concentrate on the all-important clue... And ignore everything else around it. Which is really great for... Like you said, when you've got this really... You know, you want to demonstrate... That there's a really lovable part of the monster. You know, it looks like a big fluffy animal. is cute. It's lovable. But it's hiding a big, huge, bulbous body with eight legs and huge pinchers. You know? The flashlight allows you to focus in on the cute, level of the part and put the rest of it just out of view. And the really cool thing is, people will actually do exactly that for you. So what you end up having is they think. So even if you do the reveal, the exact next frame where you take off the black part, they'll actually have a little bit of a shock there, which is outstanding. It makes life so much easier. So, just try it sometime. I think you'll actually like the effect. Um, This doesn't mean that you're limited to just flashlights. You know, if you've got a library scene, you, know, you can again have a, a wall sconce or whatever in the areas you want to have focused attention on, and have the rest of the library go be black or just a little bit of shadow. If you're trying to hide somebody, knowing where all your practical lights is obviously going to be a really cool thing. In fact, it can actually enhance the fact that the person is actually sneaking up on the other person because, well, they're taking advantage of all these neat little shadows you've provided. I mean, there's a lot of really cool little things you can do with practical lighting. It doesn't have to be just the source of all shadows. It can actually throw a little bit of extra symbology, hide stuff, reveal stuff, so on and so forth. Um. So, has all this really cool stuff combined when, yeah, you can combine a lot of this stuff into doing some really interesting stuff for yourself. Um, A close-up shot with a light from above can show that the person's having an epiphany and do a lot more effectively than, say, a medium shot where the person has a light on them. If anything else, it means that that person only is being affected by the epiphany and you're focusing in on them in order to make an actual point. You can also obviously do the same with the light from below. Focusing on one person, have the, doing the, the dreaded hand and smile thing, and all this is lit from below. A really effective use of a close-up shot. If you're doing the interrogation scene, Hey, it's a medium shot, which means it's going to be an interaction. And you can actually have the two different light sources going on at the same time. The other cool thing is that you can actually go into a combat and use your light sources to actually hide the other person in the combat. The usual way of doing this is to have the person, one of the two people, um, have a flashlight right or wherever it's convenient like on the helmet or on a shoulder, and that flashlight is blurring the details of the person's face. So obviously you can't get a great picture of that person. You know, the person being attacked can't really say that, you know, can't really identify the person who just attacked him. It's a really cool little thing. Um, If you have a long shot, and you establish where all the shadows are, Well, you can do something really cool and have the assassin go from shadow to shadow to shadow. And the other person has no clue what's going on because the assassin is doing exactly what the assassin should be doing. Which is hiding in shadow until he has to strike. Need a little way of building up a little bit of foreboding. Also something that's really used for a lot of comedic value is having a person hide behind different areas. You know, you've got the obvious medium shot or the long shot, or a series of long shots, that show the person hiding behind various obstacles. This isn't just being used for the assassin, but it can also be used to, you know, hide somebody who's trying to sneak up and do some sort of, like, prank on the person. I mean, there's just a lot of really cool ways you can use all this stuff in combination in order to actually make the point. I mean, let's look back at the rule of 180. You know, if you're trying to show that one person, or you know, if you have two people in the conversation, obviously what you can do is that you can actually show what's going on over the other person's shoulder. And there's all sorts of weird stuff happening beyond that person, behind that person, that he or she can't see, That's the person he's talking to can. Or, let's say you've got the, you know, the cell phone situation going on, you have the two people having a conversation from two entirely different locations. Even though you've established that if you're using the rule of 180, it doesn't mean that you have to keep the person, the space that would have the other person in it, ...keep it empty. You can, for example, act like you're doing all sorts of weird stuff. You know, the obvious example is you can have one of the characters having sex... ...or getting a massage or, you know, enjoying themselves... ...while the other person is doing having a mundane day. You know, really boring, you know, playing with paperwork... ...typing onto a computer... You know, it's a great way of adding a lot of contrast to the two people while at the same time showing that they are communicating. Because obviously you can have them in two entirely different settings. And you don't have to keep them to the same level of shot. Especially if you're trying to emphasize that one of them is doing a lot of really detailed stuff and is still trying to hold on to the conversation. While at the same time, the other person is you know, doing all this weird and wacky stuff and you actually want to show some of the weird and wacky stuff. You know, you show the close-ups of the one person and you show the long shots of the other. You know, helps emphasize a lot of weirdness. The other advantage of the rule of 180 is when it comes to balloon placement. Let's say, for example, you don't want to have two people in the same scene for whatever reason. And you want to do something entirely different. Uh, let's say, for sake of argument, that we're going to have uh, the person you know deal with his coffee needs, while at the same time having a conversation with somebody else, like on the phone or in a different room. Well, all of speaker A balloons the little tails of the balloons points to the left, and the person he's talking to points to the right. Plus, you have these really cool close-up shots of. You know, making the coffee, pouring the coffee, various scenes as the coffee decreases in the cup, and then the coffee ending up at the strainer. Obviously, what we're describing is that the conversation opens up, the conversation goes through a few basic steps, and then the conversation has a very definite close. And even though we've established that we're having a conversation between two people by where the tails are, we've also established that there's a lot of interesting little things going on with the close-up shots. So you don't actually have to have the two, once you've established where the two people are, and at least in terms of, you know, who initiates the conversation and who's following up on the conversation, you can do pretty much whatever you want. You don't even have to have them in the same scene. If that's not a really cool thing to pull off every so often, you know, I really don't know what is. And you see a lot of these really great examples in various comics. Um, if I've got a school comic, I can go from a person asking a close up of a person asking a question, medium shot of the entire classroom, as the teacher responds specifically to that student or, I can do all sorts of, as, you know, I can have a business meeting, where it's nothing but close-up shots. You know, who's ever talking gets a close-up shot, and then I can establish what level of communication, through the rule of 180, of what the person they're talking to is. So, if I've got a person who's just droning on and on and on, giving all this exposition, and we don't really care about the exposition, we can then flip to people that are facing away from the person on their cell phones playing games or rummaging through papers or even people that are really attentive and jotting notes down. You know, once you start playing around with these different composition type things it opens up a lot of really po- really weird possibilities as far as what you can do with drawing. Uh, I mean, imagine the advantages of being able to have two investigators that are obviously you establish there in two different areas with the establishing shot and then you have them have a conversation even as they unearth clues or look at little details you know there's a lot of of really cool little things you can do when you start messing around with the cinematography of the situation and getting away from all those freaking medium shots So, sort of summing all this stuff up just to be obnoxious. Shots. Close-up shots are great if you're trying to show details or very specific actions. You're trying to show... On the other hand, you're trying to establish the time, the place, and the tone, as well as what happened and what's going to happen. That's your long shots. If you're trying to do interactions between two people... Try to stick to medium shots. Obviously, vary these as needed. The rule of one e, really great way to not only establish what's going on, what the dynamics of the conversation are, but can be applied to not just people in the same room. You can apply them to people having a conversation in two different locations, as long as you allow for the body language. Um. Don't, afraid to, don't be afraid to cross over people with different actors or other characters or items and other that with, in the scene. Also, don't be afraid to play with stuff in the background. Real quick, a major point you might want to keep in mind when it comes to the background stuff is it actually increases your reread read rate. Sorry. Basically, you'll have people occasionally go through your archives just to catch up on stuff. Or, if something needs a real quick refresher on something that happened like hit your archives. However, if you have a lot of weird stuff going on in the background and people all of a sudden catch on to it, all of a sudden you're gonna see a lot of people rereading your archives a whole lot. And obviously when you print the book out, they'll be looking at looking for a lot of these details and some of them will even bring out the magnifying glass. Assuming of course they didn't just enlarge it on however they're reading. In short, by increasing a lot of the stuff going on in your comic through stuff that's going on in the background, you actually increase your audiences. Because obviously the more detail, the more people try to figure out what's going on, these people will create a community. People from who don't necessarily read the comic will be interested in finding out why they've got this huge community all of a sudden, or this growing community at least. They'll get into it, they'll start reading the comic, And, well, you'll have a snowball effect. So details matter. Um, So don't be afraid to do weird stuff in the background just to be doing weird stuff in the background. It helps. Also, don't forget the lighting really helps. Not only does it establish where the shadows are coming from, but allows you to set up details for later. And also means that you can obscure or focus in on things depending on how you use the lighting in short it's not a bad idea to take a couple go hit up your community college and grab a couple of filmmaking classes you know if you're into just the writing stuff alone taking a couple of acting classes is a great idea it facilitates the advantage it facilitates the situation that you can shift between different characters really quick Um, You'll become a lot better at improv and this will also help the writing. If, on the other hand, you're an illustrator, well, obviously a lot of these techniques are going to be of use. And I've just barely scratched the surface. There's a lot of other really cool stuff going on out there. It's just a matter of taking the classes and figuring it out. The other cool thing is that if you're a writer and you take the composition classes... At that point, you and the illustrator all set in a common language that can be used to really make things a lot easier when it comes to talking about what's going on in the comic. At this point, you've got an actual shorthand in order to make things a lot easier for each other. So, just something to consider. I hope this has helped, and I'll talk to you later.